we'll edit this into the show later on. But right. yeah, whenever you're ready. Okay. Congratulations, favored one, for having the wisdom and wit to become a Merry Marvel Marcher. Your name has been ceremoniously entered in our logbook, and your dollar has been avariciously deposited in our treasury. Now, from this day forth, you will stand a little straighter, speak a little wiser, and walk a little prouder. You've made the scene. You're in. You've joined the winning team. But with such triumph comes responsibility. You must use your valued membership privileges judiciously. You must be true to the Marvel Code of Ethics. Be not arrogant toward those who have shunned our ranks, for they know not what they're missing. Be not hostile towards unbelievers who march with others, for they're more to be pitied than scorned. Be not intolerant of Marvel defamers, for they too shall someday see the light. And above all, be not forgetful that you have become our bullpen buddy. Henceforth, you shall never march alone. Thus, we welcome you to the fold with a sagacious admonition. Face front, you're one of us now. Nuff said. <laughs> That's without rehearsal. That's great. You guys all set? Ready to go. Quiet on the You set. mean, <laughs> that's like, that was okay, it. now Mr. DeMille, put some film in the camera. No, you no, son no. of a gun, I've been going. All right, no, no, go. no, that was, okay, we're going to start the show now. Uh, in three, two, one. Good morning, and welcome to Point of View on WNUA 95.5 FM Chicago. I'm Charlie Myerson, and our guest this morning is someone rarely mentioned without one of these in the same sentence. Spider-Man, the Hulk, the X-Men or Marvel Comics, the company that he joined as a 16-year-old back in 1940. Or was it 1939? I can't remember. <laughs> One or the other. And that, with some of the most talented <clears throat> artists in comics, he built into a household name. It's Stan Lee, now the chairman of Marvel Comics and Marvel Studios. Right? I think that's right. Double you notice me. when you talk that nicely, I don't interrupt. Well, good. Well, do if I make a mistake. Are you are you still technically co-author of the comic strip? I'm about to say that. Of the new, newspaper The, the Spider-Man comic strip? No, no, I'm not the co-author. Okay. I am the author. You I are the author. I write every well. one of the mellifluous words. Co-creator, actually. I was with, uh, but, you know, you yeah. don't. No, I, I work on it with two artists. Okay. I work on it with my brother, Larry Lieber, who pencils. Hang, hang on. This is, we're, not, we're not actually running now, so you can hang on to that answer in just oh, a second. Oh, I'm sorry. And Because I want to ask you what's your day-to-day -day routine. How do I know when you're running and when well, you're not running? Let's see. We should work out a hand signal. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you we said could, we were we, on. Well, okay. we were, but then we're off now. We're on again. Um, this and this is a strange guy. <laughs> and you made me so. You made me so. Uh, how many newspapers is it running in? What's the latest count? They tell me over 500. Okay. I have not personally counted. Them. Okay. Now, we're on. Stan may be best known to the public these days. Stan may be best known to the public these days as the author of the Spider-Man comic strip, appearing in 500 newspapers across the country and host of many of the Saturday and Sunday morning cartoons based on his many, many creations. And we're speaking to him now at the Rosemont Convention Center, where he's attending this year's edition of Chicago's biggest comics convention, Wizard World. 
Stan, thanks for taking the time. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here, Charlie. But um, it's actually more than 500 newspapers around the world. And it's around the world, not just America. Excuse me. All over. It's in every language. It's really very exciting. How did it all begin? What are your first memories, not necessarily professional memories, but your first memories of the comics medium before you started working in it? Well, you know, a guy like me, I remember when they were scratching these things on the walls of caves. But (laughs) when I started at Marvel, which was then called Timely Comics, we hadn't become Marvel yet. It was a much smaller operation. We only had, I believe, three titles. There was Marvel Comics, uh, which featured the Human Torch and uh, the Submariner. There was Captain America, which it will be no surprise to you that it featured Captain America. And then I think we had another book called Daring Comics or Mystic Comics, or maybe one of each. And God knows who they featured. I can't remember. Someone who was Daring and Mystic. (laughs) (laughs) Captain Daring and Captain Mystic, I guess. And and that was our line of comics. And what brought you into comics uh, as an employee at the tender age of 16? Sheer accident. I... um, I always wanted to be an actor. In fact, believe it or not, when I was a teenager, I was in something called the WPA Federal Theater. It was a government-sponsored theatrical group, and Orson Welles was also a member. And when he was alive, when I used to lecture places, I used to say to the audience, I'd love to think that Orson Welles is making a speech somewhere and saying, yeah, I used to act with Stan Lee, (laughs) but I kind of doubt that he I'm sure he is somewhere. At any rate... um, You couldn't make any money acting in those days. It didn't pay anything. And I had a mother and father to support. So uh, I found I was able to make a few bucks. I I did some advertising writing, and I did... I had a funny job at the Associated Press. I wrote obituaries of living people. You know, if you're a celebrity, they write your obituary in advance because you may have wondered when a, a very famous person dies a few hours later... The obituary is in the paper, page after page, and you say, how did they write it that fast? But it, it's been on the shelf. In fact, that's how you know if you're a celebrity. I'd love to think my obituary is in some file somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible <laughs> thought, isn't it? No, no, and, and, I'm, and you know, I bet it goes on and on for pages. Yeah. Well, you're listening to Point of View on WNUA 95.5. I'm Charlie Myers, and our guest is the man who made Marvel Comics, Stan Lee. Please continue. <laughs> I thought you were going to say and a guy who, who answers, <laughs> but his answers are much too long for these questions. No, 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 go ahead. But anyway, I got tired of writing about living people in the past tense. And then I saw an ad in the paper that said there was an assistant wanted at a publishing company. I had no idea that they were a comic book company. I thought, you know, publishing company, books, magazines, who knows. So I went up and I applied for the job. And I I was probably the only guy who applied because they gave me the job. And then I found out it was working in the comic books, uh, comic book department. And there were just uh, two or three people. There was Joe Simon and Jack Kirby, who were doing Captain America. And there was the publisher, a fellow named Martin Goodman. And I think there was a brother of his who did something. I never found out what. And that was the organization in comics. So I figured, well, it looks interesting. I had read a couple of comics as a kid. I figured I'll stay with it for a while until I can get a real job. And the next thing I know, a half a century had gone by, and I'm still waiting for that real job. Wasn't there a family tie, too, that kind of brought you through the door? It was a coincidence. I found out later that Martin Goodman was the husband of a cousin of mine named Gene Goodman. That was after the fact, though, you found that out. Yeah, I just answered an ad. 
In those uh, in those early years, did you did you have any trouble adjusting to writing comics? I mean, it, it seems over the years to have come so naturally to you. Were, were there any obstacles for you to over- overcome as you began? No, no. It it I found it very easy, and I think most of the people in those days who wrote them found them easy. Well, for one thing, it was a very undemanding form of writing. All you had to do was let a story move from panel to panel, and our publisher, and in fact most of the publishers in those days, felt that these books are just being read by very young children or illiterate adults, and they didn't really care much about story structure, about characterization, about good dialogue. All they wanted was the action to go from panel to panel and a few words in each panel to describe what was happening. So it wasn't as though you had to be Shakespeare to turn these things out. In fact, as the years went by, it was one of the things I resented. I felt, why am I wasting time doing this? Anybody can do it. Well, I mean, did you ever aspire to get out? Were you ready to walk away from All the time. All the time. I kept thinking, well, another few months, and then I'm going to get out of here. And then I would get a raise. And i think, well, that's not so shabby. I'll stay another <laughs> little while. And then again, I'd feel, oh, that's enough. I'm, I'm, now, I'm now in my 20s. This is no job for a guy. You know, I'm, a, I'm an adult. I'd get another raise. And before I knew it, um, I was 40 years old. And this time, I was really ready to leave. Because I wasn't writing the kind of stories I wanted to write because the publisher didn't want those kind of stories. So my wife said to me, you know, Stan, instead of quitting, why don't you do one book the way you'd like to do it? And this was about 1961 or two or so. And coincidentally, my publisher had found out that DC, which was then called National Comics. Publishers of Superman and Batman. That's right. They had a book called The Justice League, a group of superheroes, And my publisher played golf with the publisher of National Comics, and as they were talking, he said to my publisher, you know, the Justice League is selling very well. I'm surprised. So Martin, my publisher, came to me, and there were no flies on him. He said, Stan, why don't we do a book about a group of superheroes? And again, I remembered what my wife Joan had said to me, do it the way you want to do it. The worst that can happen is he'll fire you, and you want to quit anyway. So I did the Fantastic Four, but I kind of tried to break most of the rules that that had been given to me. And I tried to make them more three-dimensional than the average comic book character. I tried to give them dialogue that was a little bit more like real people might really speak and so forth, and, and it caught on. So I decided not to leave. I, I began to enjoy the work I was doing. When did you when did you realize that it was catching on? A few months later, when we got the sales figures, it, it, the sales figures came in better than any we had ever had, and we knew we were onto something. So Martin said to me, "Hey, why don't you come up with another book?" So I said, "I'd like to make the next one the story of a monster." He said, "Okay, and who's the hero?" I said, "No, no, the monster will be the hero." He said, are you crazy? And I said, well, you know, I always loved the Frankenstein movie, the one with Boris Karloff. I always felt the monster was the good guy because he didn't want to hurt anybody, you know. And all these idiots with fiery torches were chasing him up and down the mountains. He didn't mean any harm. And I said, I'd like to get a sympathetic monster, but I'd like to also borrow from Jekyll and Hyde and let him be a normal man who turns into the monster and turns back again. And Martin thought I was totally insane, but he figured, well, what have I got to lose? So we did The Hulk. 
I'm sorry, the Incredible Hulk. I love adjectives. <laughs> and that did well. So then he asked me to do another. But this time I really had a problem. I said, I'd like to do one about a teenager who is called Spider-Man. And unlike most heroes, he has a lot of problems. He has to worry about money. He's not popular with girls. He has family troubles. And this time Martin said, Stan, you, you've gone over the brink this time. He said, first of all, you can't call a hero Spider-Man because people hate spiders. You can't make him a teenager. Teenagers can only be sidekicks. And he can't have problems. Don't you know what a hero is? Heroes don't have... Because I had said I wanted him to have acne, dandruff, ingrown toenails, allergy attacks. I wanted him to be a real guy, even though he had a superpower. So Martin didn't let me do Spider-Man. And it wasn't until months later we had a book we were about to kill, to drop. And when you're going to drop a title, nobody cares what you put in the last issue, because it's the last issue. So I sneaked Spider-Man into that issue, and I put him on the cover. Amazing adult fantasy. That's right. All right. And again, it took two or three months before we got our sales figures. But the sales figures came in for Amazing Adult Fantasy, and it had outsold any book we had done in decades. So Martin came in to me and said, Stan, do you remember that character idea of yours as Spider-Man that we both liked so much? Why don't you make a series of it? And uh, the rest, as they say, is history. Spoken like a true boss. You're listening to Point of View on WNUA 95.5. Charlie Meyerson talking to the, the man who is... For many of us, Marvel Comics, or as it's known now, Marvel Entertainment, the corporate parent. Tell it's us, still Marvel Comics. Well, it's still Marvel, Marvel Comics is part of Marvel overall, Entertainment. Yeah, yeah, right. That's the way they know it on Wall Street. Tell us about the Merry Marvel Marching Society, whose credo <laughs> you read at the start of the show. Well, so many readers started writing in because we accomplished something I was very proud of. We, we got a legion of fans who really liked us and who seemed to like the idea that the stories we did were all tinged with humor. Even though they were serious stories, there was a warmth and a humor to them that the, the fans related to. And they didn't feel they were just readers, but they began to feel they're friends of ours. We used to talk to them. You know, we had a letters page where we would answer every one of their letters in, a, in kind of a semi-humorous way. I wrote a column called Stan's Soapbox where I would ramble on about anything. And they began to think they knew me. And another thing we did, we established credits in our cover, in our stories, just like they do in the movies. I decided, why should our artists and writers be anonymous? So I wrote down the name of the editor, the penciler, the inker, the colorer, the letterer, and, and they began to feel they knew these people, and, and our artists and writers and people became sort of celebrities to the fans, and there was a, a, a close-knit relationship between us and our readers, so I got all this mail saying, why don't we have a fan club? Well, I didn't want to just have the typical fan club, you know, send in a dollar and we'll send you a membership card and a, and a pin or a decoder ring. <laughs> Although we would have been delighted with that. I'm <laughs> sure of it. But I tried to make it something a little bit humorous. And um, 
Would that come over over this? Maybe. Uh, you know, it's real life. Okay. And I, um, I, I came up with the name the MMMS, the Merry Marvel Marching Society. And I used to say, we don't know where we're marching, but we're on our way. <laughs> and I try to do everything in the club in a light, humorous way with a lot of hyperbole, you know, exaggerated everything. And the kids loved it. And uh, the first thing I remember, I decided since they felt they knew us, I got all the artists and writers together and I marched them to a recording studio and we made a little record on a plastic disc that cost maybe a fraction of a cent to make. And we ad-libbed a lot of conversation amongst us and we had no idea. I have that record. We'll edit it into the show okay. at this point. That's all right. We, it's all digital. It's very easy now. So uh, you were saying uh, ad-libbed a record. Yeah, and we had no idea what we were going to say. Our letterer, Artie Simic, played a harmonica solo. I argued with the artist Jack Kirby. Sal Brodsky said a lot of stuff. I made a fool of myself trying to be funny. But this record, the fans loved it because they had never received anything like that. And we made up, I don't even remember what they were, a whole lot of humorous things. We sent them little pads with pictures of our characters and funny little gags on the bottom. And anyway, that was our fan club. And uh, it, it was very, we eventually dropped it because it was too successful. We had so many members, thousands and hundreds of thousands, and we were a small company. We didn't have an, enough people to, to take care of the bookkeeping and the records and answer the letters. And finally, we just let it fade apart. When did you realize that Marvel Comics had not just become financially successful, but, but had arrived as a, as a cultural institution? Well, I think the first bit of realization, and I don't remember what year this was. It was somewhere in the middle or early 60s, I guess. A newspaper in New York called The Village Voice wrote a big article about Spider-Man, and they referred to him as, I think, comic book's first anti-hero. Uh, and we had never gotten a write-up like that. I mean, it was the way they would write about uh, a, an important novel or something, you know, or an important movie. And then after that write-up, I began, uh, readers began to send us clippings from newspapers all around the country and magazines and people, distinguished people like yourself would ask me <laughs> to appear on a radio interview show and, well, I began, you know, there were no flies on me. I said, something's <laughs> going on here. Stan Lee, the man who built and is, to many people, the essence of Marvel Comics, is our guest on Point of View on WNUA 95.5. What is your role now? Now, you've gone to the West Coast. You've left New, uh, Marvel's headquarters in New York and, and for 15, 16 years, 20 years? Actually, about 18. 18 years you've been on the West Coast <coughs> with Marvel Studios mm -hmm. and, and the motion picture and animation. And what, is, what, is, what are your responsibilities now? You're 75 years old. I want to let our audience up to date on Yeah, thanks for rubbing it in. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a fine age to be. <laughs> so what do you do? Uh, I was hoping you wouldn't ask because I'm not Sorry, sure. I'm a journalist. <laughs> I have to do it. I, um, basically, I'm, I spend most of my time working on our animated shows, our motion picture projects, and our television projects. And I have never had more fun. In the past two decades, I've turned into Joe Hollywood. 
Stan I, Hollywood. <laughs> I, um, I meet with uh, the directors. Uh, one funny story. We're doing a movie. Uh, 20th Century Fox is doing the X-Men as a big-budget, major motion picture. I might add parenthetically, have you ever heard anybody refer to a movie as a minor motion picture? <laughs> but at any rate, it's going to be a, a big movie. And it's going to be directed by Brian Singer, who did The Usual Suspects. And, I mean, he's just a young, wonderful, talented, intellectual director. So when I met Brian, he said, Stan, how nice to see you again. And I said, I've, we've never seen each other before. I haven't done that many movies. He said, no, no, I was at, I forget what college it was, but he said, and you came to lecture, and I heard you lecture. So I said, oh, gee, that's nice. And he said, I'll prove it to you. And he whips out a photograph of of him, Brian, and me with our arms around each other's shoulders. And he was a kid about 18 years old. And he said, look, I even got you to pose for a picture with me when you were there. And there I am posing with one of today's top directors when he was a kid. So knowing how conceited I am, obviously I've been telling everybody that I taught Brian all he knows. I mean, if not for me, the man would never be directing. If he's listening into this, I'm dead. Point of view on WNUA 95.5. It's Stan Lee of Marvel Comics. Marvel Entertainment, the parent company, has gone through a, a rough couple of years. Um, you know, for years, the biggest selling comics company has fallen to second place. It's been struggling through bankruptcy proceedings. Seems to be almost at the end of that. How does that make you feel about the company that you, that you built? Well, I've been very lucky. I've never been involved in the business end, you know? the financial stuff, the legal stuff. There were always other people handling that. All I ever did was try to come up with the stories and act as a spokesman for Marvel. Uh, and I'm sure they could have gotten better ones, but they were stuck with me. And I go around traveling and doing interviews like this silly thing, you know, and stuff hey, like hey, that. Hey, 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 <laughs> hey. <laughs> and I would, um, uh, and the writing I did, and I try to create new characters, all that sort of thing. So the bankruptcy thing actually hasn't touched me personally. I've still been doing what I always do, and the company has been operating. Of course, it's depressing. I'd like to feel that things were healthier in the company. But as I say, I, I haven't been that affected by it. The, the, the worst thing that happened, it has delayed the progress in some of our movie and television projects, which have had to wait until all of this is <coughs> straightened out. And it's just about being straightened out now. Marvel is relaunching Spider-Man. They're going back to ground zero. They're, they're going to, in essence, relaunch the character and redo the, the, the work that you did early on. How does that make you feel? Well, actually, I'm delighted because um, it, it's going to help so many readers who weren't around at the time when all the Marvel characters were first introduced. And it's going to give them a lot of those old imageries again, but they'll be written in a slightly different way. We have some great writers and artists like John Byrne who are going to be retelling these stories. It, they'll be essentially the same stories, but perhaps written in a more modern idiom. I just cannot wait to read them myself. You've lectured for years about the potential of comic books as a medium, contending, of course, as, as we've heard you say today, that they don't have to be just for kids, and you certainly have enjoyed some success personally personally on that count. Has the medium 
lived up to its potential. Are comics now in the 90s, as we approach the next millennium, where you hoped or thought they'd be? No. Uh, they're getting there, but actually they've gone too far in a way. What has happened with comics now, and I don't mean all of them, but a great many of them, not only are they not just for kids, but it's as though they have forgotten the kids and they're being written just for older readers. And I think what we've got to do is pull back a little bit. What we tried to do years ago, we walked a very fine line. We tried to make the stories intelligent enough and perhaps even satirical enough and philosophical enough to appeal to the older intelligent reader. But at the same time, we tried to make them clear enough and understandable enough for the younger reader. I think too many of the people today have forgotten the younger readers, and some of the stories are a little difficult for the younger readers. And I think the comic book world has two choices to make now. Either go back to the old style, where you try to do books that are good for the general audience, or have two lines of books, one for younger readers and one for older readers. And what are you recommending? Well, I would prefer the more difficult type. I would prefer s a single line of book that would be good for everybody. I think, in a sense, the way Disney can do with some of their movies, like The Lion King, which a youngster can enjoy and adults also enjoyed them. Um, or I'd like to think the way we did years ago when we were doing Spider-Man and the Fantastic Four. We had kids six, five, six, and seven years old who were big fans, and we also had high school and college kids who were big fans. It can be done, but I think we've got to go back to our roots and try again. Can comics survive in this multimedia, internet-connected age as a I, form of entertainment? I would like to think so. You know, when television came along, everybody said, this is the death knell of books. Nobody's going to read anymore. But the book business is bigger than ever. I think comics will just take their place alongside of all the other mediums of entertainment. I think we will find comics on the internet and we find certainly comics in, in video games and things like that. As far as the actual magazine format, I think it will survive because A, it's very attractive, it's inexpensive, and B, it's easy to use. It's portable. You can fold it and put it in your pocket. You can share it with a friend. Oh, hey, look at this picture. Don't let folding. We don't like that folding. <laughs> <again>. Well... <laughs> Uh, <laughs> but it is. I'm sorry. You're right. It's portable. You don't, you don't ruin it when you fold it, but I mean, you can make <laughs> it fit in your pocket, and you can um, you can actually read it at your leisure. You can reread it. You don't have to wait until it's on the web at the certain time. It's in full color. It, uh, there's something kids have always liked comics. They, they, they're just appealing, just like people love movies. I think no matter what will come along in the future, I think movies will always be popular, and I think comic books are part of that. And we certainly hope so. Our guest on Point of View on WNUA 95.5 has been Stan Lee, chairman of Marvel Comics and Marvel Studios. I'm Charlie Meyerson. Thanks for joining us. Hey, it was a pleasure, Charlie. Thanks for having me. Oh, I mean, we've gone through a half hour. Well, already. I'm getting signs yeah, for uh, 27 minutes or so.
Okay out there in Marvelland, face front, this is Stan Lee speaking. You've probably never heard a record like this before because no one would be nutty enough to make one with a bunch of offbeat artists, so anything is liable to happen. Hey, who made you a disc jockey, Lee? Well, well, Jolly Jack Kirby, say a few words to the fans, Jackson. Okay, a few words. Look, pal, I'll take care of the humor around here. You, you've been using the same gags over and over for years. Well, you can't accuse me of being fickle, can you? By the way, Jack, the readers have been complaining about Sue's hairdo again. What am I supposed to do? Be a hairdresser? Next time I'll draw her bald-headed. Boy, I'm glad we caught you and you were in a good mood. Oh, Stan, do you have a few minutes? For our fabulous gal Friday? Sure. Say hello to the fans, Flo Steinberg. Hello, fans. It's very nice to meet you. As Marvel's corresponding secretary, I feel as though I know most of you from your letters. By the way, Saul Brodsky wants to say a few words. Saul Brodsky? Who's he? Stan, the fans know you have a bad memory by all the mistakes you make, but this is ridiculous. He's been your associate for years. Really? We ought to start paying him one of these days. I've been meaning to talk to you about that. And how come I don't get my name plastered all over the mags like you do? Because I can't spell it, that's why. Well, as long as you've got a good reason. Hey, what's all that commotion out there, Sal? Why, it's shy Steve Ditko. He heard you making a record, and he's got Mike Fright. Whoops, there he goes. Out the window again? You know, I'm beginning to think he is Spider-Man. You mean he isn't? Who said that? Just that lovable old letter of me. It's adorable Addie Simic. What brought you here? The subway. Oh, well, ask a bonehead question, Flo. Stan, Sam Rosen is on the phone. How are the letterer? My competitor? Just for fun, Artie, you talk to him. Hi, Sam. This is Artie. How's it going, pal? Just great, Artie. I sure admire your lettering. I admire yours too, Sam. I think you're tops. Thanks. Well, nice talking to you. The pleasure was all mine. I never could stand that guy. Well, that's our Artie. Just imagine what Sam is saying about him now. Well, let's see who else we can get on this record. How about Chick Stone? Okay. Hi, Chick. How's Tricks? Fine, Stan. I'm reading the latest story. It's great. What a thriller. Now, that's what we like to hear, Chick. Which one of our comics is it? Who's reading a comic? This is a novel about James Bond. I can't wait to finish it. Well, we're gonna miss Chick around here. Oh, look who just came in. Kid Daredevil himself, Wally Wood. Is that a tape recorder, Flo? You know I'm afraid to talk into these machines. I can never think of anything to say. I'm not a big talker. I shut up like a clam. I get struck dumb, my mind goes okay, blank. Okay, 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 forget it. Boy, I'd hate to hear you when you feel like talking. Stan, Dick Ears is on the phone. Let's surprise him. Hi, Dick. We have a recorder playing, and you're talking to millions of people right now. You're some kind of nut or something? I just want to tell you I want to raise. Dick, don't you understand? People are listening. You're talking to the whole world. I always knew you'd crack someday, Lee. Just my luck, it had to happen when I asked you for some more dough. Well, I'm going back to Sergeant Fury. Goodbye. Another phone call for you, Stan. Oh, not anymore. I'm getting an earache. But it's Don Heck. The idol of the Iron Man fans? The ace of the Avengers? Hi, Don. What's doing? Uh, Stan, I was just wondering, uh, wasn't I supposed to draw Iron Man last week? Sure. Why do you ask? So how come you mailed me a Patsy Walker script? Yipe! Did I do that? That's awful. Oh, well, don't worry. I'll send it back to you. That's not why I'm worried. I must have sent your script to Al Hartley. I can just imagine Iron Man looking like Patsy Walker this issue. Okay, talk to you later, Don. Don't worry about it, Stan. Don't you remember that Al Hartley used to draw adventure strips? 
It may not be too bad. Well, well, look who's here. Stan G., our demon colorer. I've been meaning to talk to you, Stan. When are you going to remember it's the Hulk who has green skin, not Captain America? Gee whiz, the guy can't remember everything. Anyway, I had to tell you what MMMS meant last week, and you're the guy who made it up. But when I forget something, it's different. Yeah, it's worse. Stan, this is the most confused record I ever heard. Great, Sol. Just what we want. If it were anything else, it wouldn't be the nutty marble bullpen. Gosh, we don't have time for George Bell and Vince Coletta and Larry Lieber and Bob Powell and... That's great. Now, if we ever form another club, we'll have something new to offer. Voices that haven't been heard yet. Enough said, Sol. Now, let's all get back to work in the bullpen, and as for you, marvelous, merry marchers, welcome from all of us to all of you. If you want to know how glad we are to have you with us, just you listen. Okay, let them hear it, gang. If 
you growl, if you groan, and your star is nearly zero, do not howl, do not moan, you can be a superhero marching right along through the fighting song of the Mary Marvel. Show you how to